Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike Moynihan here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. And guys, I don't know if you can feel it, but we're getting towards the end of March and that means opening day isn't too far away, a new baseball season. And I am super excited about that. Over the last few months, you know, I have been inspired a lot. I get inspired quite a bit, honestly. But the inspiration most recently was seeing several friends of mine do YouTube videos where they have interviewed their dads. And it's so special to see stuff like that because those are memories and shared experiences and things that I think are pretty u- universal. Uh, time with your dad, sharing different things is is we all have that hopefully in our lives and not just seeing interviews with their dads today, but some people who may have lost their father, uh, being able to share stories about when they were kids and and those shared experiences with their dad. And, you know, the truth is I watch that and I see, man, what a great archive, what a great, you know, snapshot in time to preserve those memories, to preserve those special times. And I'm blessed that my dad is still around. And you hear him every week as the voice of the introduction of this podcast. And I wanted to bring him on this week and and talk to him and talk about my kid, my childhood and his career and some of the stories that he has and all kinds of different stuff. So let's bring him on now. Palmer Moynihan. Welcome to the show, Dad. There he is right over there. And there you are. Yep. Yeah. Hello, everyone. How are you? Nice to see you. Uh, I have to tell you that I get a lot of compliments on, uh, that first of all, people are like, is that really your dad doing it? And I'm like, yeah, it's really my dad. I had him come over here one day. <laughs> we, I don't know how many takes we did of that intro, but, uh, several. And I, the one with the shallow end of the gene pool just was one that stuck with me. I thought that was great self-deprecating humor and you were happy to oblige. So thanks. Thanks all for right. doing intro. Well, the, the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, I, I mentioned being a kid and and I I was such a blessed kid because of growing up with you and mom. And my sports memories were formed very early because unlike most American households, the sports oh, fanatic. Your mom. In our house was my mom. That's right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. my, my mom grew up in a house with her dad loving sports and her brothers playing sports. And so they, they were sports nuts. And my mom was a big Yankees fan, right, dad? Right. Here in Fort Worth, Texas, there really wasn't anybody else to 
yeah. look up to. But yeah, this was pre-Rangers. Pre uh, the Cowboys were here at that point, you That's know, right. in the, uh, but they started in 1960. The Rangers didn't start till 1972. So there was a window of time there. And, and believe it or not, my mom was the one that collected cards as a kid. She had baseball cards. Yeah. And you, yeah, you weren't a card guy. No, but I'm a card guy. But you ended up being, um, as Norman decides to bark right now, I apologize. But you were the one that worked in the sports world, uh, in sports television. I'd love you to tell that story about your career and kind of how that got started. And I was how working at a television station here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And uh, we needed a little extra money. And it wasn't a bad thing to think about in 1972 hey, there might be some nighttime freelance work available out at the ballpark. Um, now, it was only the Yankees coming down at that time, early, early on, and the Rangers, why nobody else came. <laughs> you didn't have all the teams coming through town, every series, no. But the Yankees came, and uh, I started working for them maybe seven games a year, something like that. I think generally they came on a three-game homestand and a four-game homestand here. And then uh, after that, Boston started picking it up, and uh, I got referred to uh, because the guy remembered my name. I had a weird name like Palmer. And so uh, Tommy Dedesco out of uh, Boston started hiring me too, and I would help facilitate finding the other, the rest of the crew, the Mike Walls and the Phil Crows and the Eric Norbergs and the, all the people that, that worked around broadcasting. I wasn't the principal one, certainly, but uh, there later became booking agencies and groups that would, would hire the crews and pay us out and all of that kind of thing. But originally it was really, really uh, just luck that I got involved with the Yankees. And uh, so anyway, that's uh, how it started in late 72, uh, the first year. Uh, Channel 5 had it at first, and uh, I don't think any of their people wanted to come out at nights and weekends to work. So uh, I was working for an independent television station, and I jumped at it. And so you did baseball for the next how many years did you brought that were you a cameraman for baseball games from MLB? Uh, up until the time I did, didn't do it anymore in the 90s somewhere. I think um, it was the late 90s. Yeah, late 90s. Um, so I had a pretty good run of it. Uh, maybe 20 something, 25 years working in the, and I, I ran camera in the booth almost invariably. Now I didn't start that way. Originally I was a videotape operator at the TV station. So they thought naturally we'll put him in as the slow motion operator. <laughs> but uh, that was really, really weird. Back then they had this machine called a HS 100 and it was a disc based uh, recording system that could come back and do slow-mo and it only had 30 seconds of record time and it went around and around and if you wanted to save a play that was done in the third quarter or 
the third inning, you had to put little markers, physical little pieces of tape over part of that circle and come out of record and go back in to record. This thing went around in a circle all the time. It was the craziest thing. It was really hard for me to pick up on it. I, I never did understand really what I was doing, but I was sitting cross-legged in the TV truck with Don Carney, the uh, director up above me, and I'm sitting here trying to run this machine that I knew very little about. And what I knew more about was running camera. And so after a few uh, few times that he came in, why I got put off to the booth. And that was the best thing that could ever happen to me because I was with Bill Rizzuto and uh, let's see, who would have been some of the other early? Mel Allen. Mel Allen. Yeah, he was a, a good voice of the Yankees. And... Uh, yeah, so I got to be around people like that, and along around uh, 73, why I ended up having uh, three kids get born. We kind of called them Irish triplets. Uh, we had twin boys, Mike and his brother, Matt, and then 11 months later, we had a little girl named Melissa, and uh, they all started school the same year. They all graduated from high school the same year and went off to college the same year. In the meantime, uh, I had been doing uh, baseball all that time, all during the growing up years. I would uh, leave about the station about 5.30 and get over to the Arlington ballpark, and, uh, do a game, get home at 9.30, 10.30, 11.30, 12.30. It didn't matter. Whenever the game was over, I got to come home after that, and it didn't pay anymore necessarily to uh, to find out that it was a game that took twice as long as a game that went real quick. It's so you it, liked pitchers duels when you were you wanted to get yeah. it like let's yeah. get this game yeah. over with. I wanted to get a quick one over with. Yeah, but I I didn't I didn't know a whole lot about baseball, um, but a guy named uh, Phil Crow. I rode together to the ballpark a lot, and Phil had played baseball um, at TCU, in, right? In high school and at TCU, and he knew a lot about baseball, and he knew a lot about playing second base, and he knew uh, a lot about how it should be televised. And so uh, he and I would always talk. I always ran game camera that's up in the booth with the announcers. Phil Crow was over at high first on uh, camera three. Went the first camera was low third camera one, and then it came up to me camera two, and uh, over to Phil camera three. Then when they added a center field camera, which now is where most of baseball is viewed from, so I'm this outfield looking back in. Um, That's the typical. That's looking the, at the pitches come in yeah, view that they use. That, that became camera four. And uh, then all the other later numbers, you know, they have 12 or 16 cameras now on a typical big time game. But those original ones that were set up by Don Carney, that's all he could have. He went between camera one and camera two. And his dugout was the low third. And uh, he could take shots of his uh, 
manager or his manager and his players and stuff like that by swinging over and then he would cut to that camera that was called camera two the game camera that the ball was hit i better be going with it so it was be on your mark every pitch have full concentration because you wanted to not be herky-jerky about it you know you wanted to see where the ball was headed and go right out there, go right over there um, and make the catch and then either bring the ball back in or so they'd cut off of you um, after we had three or four cameras. Why, that was pretty good. Um, One thing that always fascinated me, because, again, for people out there listening or whatever, if you whenever you typically watch a baseball game, again, that center field camera shooting into home plate, the high home – camera where my dad was his career was in the booth with the announcers you know and so that's so that during the pregame and stuff i could swing over shoot the announcers do the little pregame interview yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. and so that guest up in the booth and i'd have to take a shot of them occasionally um there wasn't lenses to where the guy that was running center field camera could shoot back into the booth and get anything but a gigantic wide shot of, uh, or a big blur. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I always thought it was fat. One aspect of what I thought was interesting of you doing baseball and not being a, again, I think you respected the game and, and the athletes and what they were doing, but in terms of being a fan, you weren't a fan. So I wasn't a fan. I had too much going on. I, I really had to stay busy with uh, keeping up with ba- baseball is such a game of playing the odds. It's such a game of what most likely will happen and be ready for that. And then also be ready for somebody uh, questioning, did he go around or something like that? I had other duties that had to happen in the blink of an eye. Um, if you uh, if you had somebody protest a call or something, check swing or something like that. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, it was really uh, challenging to keep up with it. Equipment wasn't all that great nowadays. They have great cameras that are super sharp and super slow-mos and um you know you can see the action so much better than we could back then in lo-fi days so you did baseball that 72 to to the late 90s right when did you start doing football and basketball and everything else when did that kind of came along with um with the there was some college sports, some things they called Missouri Valley uh, football. And there was a, a whole conference. It was called Missouri Valley. We would travel to, uh, we called it Fayetteville. Fayetteville. <laughs> and, uh, and we'd go down to uh, Austin and play at War Memorial and uh, do football down there. Um, basketball, same thing in the wintertime, a few few sports were televised. There just wasn't much of a, um, a system of having sports on television. It was hard to get the games brought back with any kind of clarity for a reasonable price. Um, 
but as it grew and the technology grew, why, so did the television, DFW television sports franchise started televising more and more and more. And a company came along named HSN, uh, Home Sports Network, and uh, they put a lot on cable. And then uh, Channel 11, the station that I worked for, under uh, Phil Crow, the guy that I was talking about earlier, uh, his he became the producer of the broadcast that was on Channel 11. So it was kind of a good thing that I worked at Channel 11 during the day and worked out at the ballpark at night. It was yeah. a good thing. And uh, basketball, hockey came along in its own due course. You probably know better than I what years hockey started. I know it was the wasn't it the Minnesota Stars that came down to become the Dallas Stars? The Minnesota North Stars became North the Stars. Dallas Stars. Uh, that was in the 1992 time frame. Really? The Cowboys started in 60. Uh, the Mavericks started in 80, 81. And uh, God, I, when did All you? All the time this was growing and growing and growing. I would. I came from having maybe seven events per year to having seven nights off per year <laughs> to having 150 games a year. Right. Weekends. I, uh, for a number of years, for seven years, I was on the uh, NHRA circuit, which was uh, drag racing with uh, touring around. I flew, I was on the road longer than most asphalt. Uh, yeah. You can't imagine how tiring it can be to every weekend on a, you have to take a day of vacation on Friday and on, uh, you leave to fly to Pomona, California to start the drag racing season. And uh, you're out there in between the two cars, drag racing. That's why I can't hear so very good this day and age, because I think I ruined all the little silly, uh, in my ears that helped me hear, helped my brain hear. Um, and you did rodeo, and I remember, I mean, rodeo. I had all these you memories. Rodeo a lot with me. I did. And when did you start taking me to, say, Rangers games, for example? Hmm. Do you remember? When your mom wanted a free night out, and uh, <laughs> The other two could be trusted, but you had to have constant supervision. No doubt. I And a leash. I remember my memories are, and, and again, it's hard when you're an adult and you try to remember things when you were a kid. Yeah. It, some of it gets cloudy for sure. But I remember being a runner. Uh, the job was called being a runner. And I would sit up in the booth with you and the announcers. Mm -hmm. And if a camera operator needed a Coke or a hot dog or a piece of equipment that they broke. And I need, my job was to run it to them and get it to them and run and, <laughs> run. and I got to know. So the Rangers started in a ballpark called Turnpike stadium, which right. was upgraded and they called it Arlington stadium. And it was a dump. Like if you looked at it today, like if, if they took you back in time and you went there, you'd be like, golly, they're playing major league baseball here. But but you have memories there with people like uh, Mr. October. Uh, Reggie uh, Jackson, could, Nolan Ryan. Can you take him down to uh, the field? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, 
show him the back way to where you could get him down there. To well, the- being a runner, I got to know the Arlington Stadium like the back of my hand because I had to zig and zag through normally restricted areas, but I had a pass that allowed me to kind of, I'm part of the TV crew, you know, and like you were and running around and doing things I needed to do for my job. And I remember I got paid like 50 bucks a game back when I was, that was a lot of money, you know, for yeah. a kid. And, and this is probably when I'm, I, I you may correct me. I, it, this was probably early eighties, mid eighties. So yes, I'm mid eighties, I would say. Twelve that would put you at twelve years old, or yeah, twelveish, yeah. And you were, uh, you were a pretty good kid by then, yeah. And so I, I felt like, man, I get to. I just thought it was normal for kids to go with their dads to the ballpark and you hang know, out with Steve Busby and yeah, uh, and hang out with all these announcers. And and what was cool is Sunberg, even, he's one of our announcers. And Jim Sunberg, all your friends, always one of my favorite players because of what happened later. I mean, he was a great player. And then I love Buddy Bell and Lance Parrish, or not Lance Parrish, uh, Larry Parrish and Pete O'Brien. And I just remember all these old Rangers and I, I grew to love the game by going with you and experiencing it in a way that again, I, I thought was normal. Well, everybody gets to sit up in the booth and watch, <laughs> the game, you know, which is rare, it, very rare. And it gave me a perspective that was unique and incredibly special. Uh, and you worked for the Rangers a lot for the home broadcast, but a lot of times you would also work for the away broadcast. In fact, right. I ended up enjoying uh, working for the visiting broadcast. It was the visitors to us here, but it would put me with the lions or not the lions, the, the tigers. tigers. I'm sorry. Lions, uh, tigers, and bears. Oh my. Um, oh my. The tigers. Yeah. And, and their announcer uh, was uh, Al Kaline. Yeah. Great gentleman. What a gentleman. The Orioles, Brooks Robinson. He was right. the announcer that I knew so well. I once was panning across the show in the stadium and I knocked a cup of ice cream off into his attache case where he had all of his records for every game you know they, they keep perfect records and i knocked a cup of ice cream melted ice cream in their legs into that cool guy i mean he could have stood up and give me a slap but uh he didn't and uh, he was a good guy and uh the deborah deborah purvis the lady that worked in the booth with me back then camera fours soon to be wife uh, from Sean McStay's he married her anyway she helped clean that up Deborah Purvis was also the gal that was sitting down on the floor trying to get all of her cards that she would hand to the announcers to have them do, do various uh, ads promos and stuff yeah. they were all dis- in disarray and she was down there trying to clean them up and get them in order and uh, a warm burner was hit right back to the booth and uh, the guy from the tigers reached back and barehanded that thing and i mean he got it slowed down and stopped right at her temple i mean (laughs) it was gonna nail her 
she wouldn't have been the lady she is today if that ball would have hit her. Uh, it would have hit her square in the head. And, and Reggie Jackson, I remember. Yeah. Obviously, I had a cool experience with Reggie. Um, and yeah. Mickey Mantle, you met, right? I'm sorry? Mickey Mantle? Yeah. He would come to the booth. He was with the the Yankees. Um, Thanks. And he came through as a – I didn't – I never shot him on the field. Uh, playing. I wasn't that early, um, but he would come in dressed in a suit and he would pretty much uh, be doing his part of the game. They used to do three innings at a time and they would change between radio and television and then back to television or back to radio. And they all have some kind of system that they move between the radio and television booths back in that day of Mickey Mantle. So he was in and out. He would sometimes do the open some games and other games he wouldn't show up until the third inning, fourth inning or something. You know, it's interesting because we all think about former players that became broadcasters. And I remember voices of the game. And for me, it's Mark Holtz, Eric Nadell, yeah. uh, Norm Hitchkiz, um, guys like that and these are all local names that probably people don't know but there are names that everyone knows uh ernie harwell for the tigers and uh, uh richie ashburn and mel allen and phil rizzuto doing yankees games did you have a lot of interaction with mel allen and phil rizzuto yeah sure they were just guys that you were sitting around with and if they'd uh, if they didn't know if they needed another notebook or a pencil or something like that why we were there to to help them find what they needed you know um and then there was also spring training baseball we'd go down several years we went down in fact one year i think you even went with me didn't you i did it was actually uh 1994 Five, no, 94. No, 95. Because Jose Canseco was the newest Ranger. Okay. And we thought, oh my gosh. And we had Will Clark. We'd just gotten Will Clark. And I was actually in college at the time doing a broadcast project, I guess. And I and we interviewed Will Clark. And I have some great photographs of me and Jose Canseco and Yvonne Rodriguez and Juan Gonzalez and all these that that mid 90s rangers team was actually pretty loaded with talent they couldn't win for diddly but they couldn't <laughs> pitch but uh you know this was right after nolan ryan retired he retired in uh, 94 but it was going to spring training and just having kind of an all-access ability to go to those things was just mm -hmm. phenomenal i remember cowboys games and i remember uh mavericks especially i mean so you might i'll, I'll tell the story i'll tell this story so okay. for mavericks games which you did for decades um you probably started really early with the mavericks as he finishes his beer uh, <laughs> but a mavericks games you your camera was right below the basket and you were a handheld camera on your shoulder lugging that thing around for three hours and your job was to catch the action under the basket, free throws, etc. And my job was 
I remember you toting me around all those games and I had two different jobs that I would do. One would be a cable puller. And what that is, is there's a, back then these, all these cameras were not wireless. And so there was a wire, a hard wire that I would have to keep from getting tangled up in all the photo photographers and the press guys and everything that was all under the basket and help you get to where you needed to be to get a shot of a timeout. And you're over the top of the, the team, you know, meeting together to strategize in the huddle and get, make sure nobody tripped over it and all this. Or I was a uh, parab mic operator, which is a, a parabola mic. It's like a giant dish. You guys have probably seen those on TV and stuff, mm -hmm. but there's a microphone at the center of it and the, the parabola, you know, funneled the sound towards the mic and all the squeaking sound you used to hear. Now all those mics are set, you know, they're, they're permanently used to be a kid like me sitting under the basket holding the mic that would help you hear the squeaking of the shoes on the court and uh i remember things like doing those games and that was like i had the best seat in the house literally i could sit there and hold a mic and oh, watch you paid 500 dollars and got a better seat. i know i mean just opportunities like that that i and i got paid to do it <laughs> you know like you're going to pay me to sit here and watch this. Okay. You know, if I have to, and uh, those memories are so fond and doing stuff. I remember, do you remember the show row nose dad? Do you remember us doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So my Rolando Blackman, great Mavericks player. Uh, and just well a great gentleman. Oh my gosh. Well, we were probably 13 or 14, my brother and I, and we would, drive over to Dallas to the Mavericks practice facility and we would shoot multiple segments of a show called, or a, a it's not even a show. It was like a, a segment of a larger, yeah, like yeah. during halftime called row nose. Uh -huh. And we would, he would teach us how to dribble or how to shoot a layup or we were the, we were the kids that he would coach, you know, in these little, segments of how to do simple basketball tricks mm -hmm. simple basketball not tricks but moves or whatever how to defend properly or whatever and i remember we'd go over and we'd spend you know a whole saturday there shooting five or six seven and we'd go back a few weeks later or whatever and i don't know that we did that a ton but a few times we did that and those were enough to make it memorable enough Great. to make it memorable yeah and uh things harper like was that. on that too wasn't he Derek Derek carper is that right Derek harper yep yeah, yeah, he was a guard too. for the Mavericks. Um, yeah, those were just things that I got to do and experience and, you know, going into the clubhouses and being able just to kind of, like I said, have all access to a ballpark or a stadium was very unique and so, so cool. Uh, if there were some, there, there are certain events that I have memory of that you were a part of. I mean, you probably saw quite a few no hitters in baseball, for example, or I know you were, you did the perfect game for Kenny Rogers that he pitched in 94. I want to say. Yep. That sound right. Um, and I remember I my brother here, but uh, what's that? Was there. I, I think it was 94, maybe 95, but my, I know my brother was home from college. Matt was home and he happened to be at that game. And what's cool is because his dad was, my dad was running camera. He knew where my brother was in the stands. And 
Kenny Rogers pitches the perfect game. Everybody's clapping, and they would, you know, you'd incorporate crowd shots. The director's setting it up and saying, if this is it, if this is the one, everybody go for a crowd shot. We want a lot of hooray, hooray. And And I thought, who am I going to shoot? Golly, let me think. (laughs) My son, Matt. (laughs) Right. And uh, I knew that when they cut to me, that made that footage indelible because you take the whole game and somebody – put it off in some storage vault somewhere. And every time that game's looked at, they don't see all of the different cameras from that game in real time. What they see in real time is he made that last throw and then boom, there's yeah. Matt Linehan. Every <laughs> going, Yay! Every time the Rangers show that highlight, even right. now, like if you went to Rangers highlights all time and Kenny Rogers perfect game is Kenny Rogers getting the last out and a shot of my brother clapping. It's like this, <laughs> it's the craziest thing. And yeah. uh, I know like a, a guy that I really love, you can see him behind me here and here and wherever is Nolan Ryan. He was always a, a player that I looked up to and just thought the world of you actually tell me some experiences. I know you went to Alvin at least I a couple did. of times well, just to hang out station, with Nolan At that point, our station was the Texas Rangers broadcaster. So it was cool to them when, uh, where did he come from? Maybe the Angels? Alvin, Alvin, Texas. But I mean, where did he come oh, from? Oh, Houston. Before? He came to oh. us from Houston. Okay. Did he ever play on the West Coast? Yeah, he was, he was an Angel in Angel. the late That's 70s. Right. Yeah. I couldn't have told you whether he came from the Angels or came from Houston. I know he played for both. But uh, the I, day I can tell you that. I'm pretty good. I know. I know you can. <laughs> uh, you're an expert. I just happened to be the guy living this. My, my Phil Crow called me into his office and he says, we just signed a guy named uh, Nolan Ryan. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, real fast throwing pitcher, hard throwing pitcher. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering... We need some B-roll for next week's game. Can you go down and shoot some tomorrow? I'll get you a flight on Southwest Airlines. You'll fly into Hobby. And I I rented a car. Didn't have anybody with me. Didn't have a producer with me. Didn't have anybody. Phil Crow couldn't afford to go. It was just me. I went down there, drove down south to Alvin, Texas, found this little ranch, came up, knocked on the door, and said, Mr. Ryan, I'm from KTVT, Channel 11. Congratulations. I guess you're going to be coming to the Rangers. He said, yes. Uh, how can I help you? And I said, well, they sent me down. Did they? Did anybody call you? Oh, I think maybe somebody did. Uh, they actually talked to my wife. I was expecting you. And so we went out, and he leaned against the rail on a, one of his cattle pens, and we did some interviews, and then I set him down, and he and his wife helped me with her name. Um, oh, the, gosh, what is his wife's name? I uh, can't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, she was sweet yeah. and accommodating, as you can imagine, and uh, she was real glad that he was staying semi-close to home. And, uh, yeah, it was a memorable experience, and then I came Back with those videotapes and we edited them into something for our next game it was when it was on the air we say here's a soundbite from what nolan had to say about his 
new uh, signing with the Texas Rangers. And so I got to do that all by myself, uh, <laughs> basically just to keep costs low. Yeah. I went down there with a the broadcast camera and batteries and did yeah, my he, best. He signed he, his first season with the Rangers was 89. Wow. So. That would have been 89 then yeah. when I went down. You were how old? Uh, I was 15, 16. Yeah. Ish. Um, so let's get into a little bit about. You remember when Bob Lilly came to our house? Bob Lilly was a football player. Do you remember I, that? Yeah. Uh, number 74 for the Cowboys. <laughs> Hall of Famer. Yes. I, he, I called your mother at work and I said, you really ought to come home. Do you know that I'm shooting and I'm, we're using our house? We had just gotten this new little mini cam and we needed some place to go. And he was shooting a car repair commercial. Bob Lilly was. And... Lo and behold, the director allowed me to, well, yeah, we'll go down to Palmer's house and put the hood up on a car and have Bob Lilly standing there doing the pitch. And so I called Linda and I said, you really ought to come home. I got Bob Lilly is in our front yard. You're kidding me. <laughs> and uh, she and her friend came home they took off around uh, 2 30 and 3 30 in the afternoon and got here in time to get mr Lilly's. yeah for you guys out there my mom was the craziest cowboys fan you've ever i mean yes if, if there's a reason i'm a cowboys fan it's because my mom and i mean she would go absolutely bananas on every play and it, God forbid the Cowboys turned it over. This was the Danny White. She was huge Roger Staubach and, uh, you know, Tom Landry days. And we were really good as a team. Haven't been good since. But uh, it, it made me into a Cowboys fan because of her passion for that. And that's, you know, there's a lot of passions that pass on, you know. And I remember things like the story of you going, I have a bunch of cards signed by players that you got over acquired over the years from interactions in the booth, whether it was Harmon Killebrew, Al Kaline, like we've talked about, Phil Rizzuto. I have a 54 Bowman, Phil Rizzuto. Tell me the story, because I don't know that I've honestly ever heard this story of you going to a card shop. Where, like, how did you get that card? How did you get those? You know, cards? I can't remember. I really don't have a memory of how I came into those cards. I'm not sure that maybe some of my friends like uh, Mike Wall and Phil Crow and Sean McStay might have had them or found them somewhere. I don't think I've ever walked into a card shop myself, personally. Um, I wished I could tell you, oh, yeah, I went down and got that, paid $1.75 for it. But I don't have that memory. I do remember having cards and having balls and having I'd walk up with the ball and say, I'm trying to get this signed for my son. And uh, they'd say, sure, Palmer. And that was back in the day. I guess now you could probably get fired for even asking for that. But uh, anyway, I did. And it was a different time, right? Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah, and uh, I still have the ball. Uh, <laughs> and I... It's the thing I would never 
ever get rid of. It, it means way more to me than any monetary value that it might possess. I don't even care. Um, but it's got Mantle and Jackson, Reggie Jackson and Nolan Ryan's on it. Phil Rizzuto's on it. And then Mel Allen is on it. And Ernie Harwell is on it. And well, they're uh, Hall of Famers. And I thought I'd heard they're Hall of Famers. Oh, well, I got to get them because they're hall of famers but they were broadcast hall of famers which is great those are two of the best of all time it's so okay i mean i just love that that you even thought to do that for me and the fact you didn't know what you were starting probably by giving these things and turning me into this baseball collector crazy i wonder i wonder right now is there any chance that some of those old players and stuff could be watching and following their baseball card, they may be watching this video sometime now or in the future. And uh, if uh, if you do remember me, and I was in the booth with you, why uh, drop a drop a line in the notes below to Mike, and he'll send me a message or something. But uh, well, I hate to tell you this, Dad, because you're all dead. Old, but they're all dead, pretty much. Most of them are dead. Um, How about the Yankees manager that I liked in the booth so much? Um, There's a lot of Yankees managers. They all got fired all the time by George Stein. Well, there were a ton of them. Billy Martin? No. Um, This guy was uh, kind of Hispanic. I think his name was Torme or Um, Torme. It's escaping me. Oh, good thing you have Google. Yeah. But, you know, when we were doing all this stuff as a kid again i never thought anything that that was just normal you know that was just my dad brought me signed cards and and it started me on this journey and i loved this and it it made me love the sport want to learn the history of the sport expand my knowledge of the sport collect the card come in here and you'd be laying on your floor this was your bedroom yep yeah, I'm talking when I was a kid, that was in I my was, computer room. Yeah, but uh, right where I'm sitting, you would be on the floor studying some book on baseball and memorizing. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous what you started, but that collecting slash hobby gene is something that you and I have talked before about it being. I don't know if it's it is genetic, but it sure feels that way because your passion and love for woodworking and tools and the, the history of those and all of that stuff um, is very similar and akin to what I do now with sports cards. It's, it's really insanely similar. Uh, You have the, the greatest um, sign in your shop. My dad has a wood shop. We built things like the beast together. we We built it together. Well, yeah, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the point I want to make is you have a sign in your shop that says the best thing I make with these tools is friends. (laughs) And that is a when I talk about the people that I've met through the hobby and how much. Oh, yeah. What a community it is. It is. And it's the best thing I make with baseball cards is friends. You know, I can have the. (laughs) I can have the greatest collection in the world, but if you don't share it and you don't, you know, talk about it and, and let other people enjoy it too, it feels very empty, quite frankly. And and it's much more rich 
when you have people to share it with. And when you make something with your tools and you go out hunting, God, we used to go, I remember we'd go to flea markets, right. And, and yard sales and everywhere. That was my Saturday morning was trotting along with my dad and being his Sherpa, you know, <laughs> carrying something. And, but and I would always look at the flea markets for baseball cards. Sure. And dad, can I have a, a dime or I don't know what a pack would cost back then, but <laughs> I would beg and plead for any spare change that you would give me to buy some baseball cards. Yeah. You're probably I hope I did once in a while, maybe you did. And, okay. but I, I bet you're just sitting there going, God, why am I even wait? This is just, I'm throwing this money down the toilet. <laughs> the funny thing is dad, I have every one of, I still have all those cards. Yeah. <laughs> They're all in this closet over here. I mean, the name I, still, I was trying to talk about earlier was Joe Torrey. Joe Torrey. Yeah. He might still be alive. He is still alive. He's actually. a wonderful guy in the booth. He always remembered my name. Yeah. He was just a great gentleman. I always really enjoyed seeing him. He was that's for cool. the Yankees again. Yeah. That's but, cool that uh, he would remember I didn't his name. His name. I'm so sorry I forgot his name after all that time. That's all right. I it's good to hear. I sometimes forget your name. So that's good that he <laughs> remembers your name every time. Yeah. Uh yeah, the woodworking thing has been, uh, I was, when it came to uh, managing you, your mother would be driven crazy by you and you'd say, go out in the shop and learn something for your from your father. So I was always the, uh, I was the punishment. So <laughs> I don't think you looked on it too fondly. I got to go out there and smell sawdust for the next hour, stay low so that my mom won't. Well, what's cool is even though like I have more of a numbers brain, which is where my career kind of took me. Right. You're much more of a mechanical brain and problem solving and all that. I, I solve problems too, but it's just, it's different. But you similar. still remember all of those dates and names that we were around baseball. And I remember all of the, in that book right up there, uh, Stanley Plain book. I can still recite every one of those uh, plane numbers for old woodworking planes. And yep. what you said, um, the ones that I collected still have them. Yeah. Still think the world of them. They're still sharp and ready to use. And I enjoy using them. And it's the same thing with you and baseball cards. Well, that's kind of what you said a little while ago. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's the truth, Ruth. Well, when, uh, I don't, I can't remember how long ago it was now that we built the beast. And I remember coming to you with this, you know, horrible sketch of an idea that I had of building this custom case for, you know, um, sports cards. Uh -huh. and I'm like, okay, it, I want it to kind of look like this and your brain I, the concept was here in my brain and you took it and went, okay, this is what it needs to look like. And this is what we need to do. And we went and bought the, I remember us going and buying the wood and. Yeah. Working. You bought the wood. You actually, you weren't trying to get a freebie off of dad. You actually paid. Well, sure. I needed your free labor and free <laughs> uh, brain cells. Um, my idea was I want to make a joint that's uh, dovetailed in the yeah. joint all around there you'll see and those uh those each individual drawer is dovetailed together yeah, yeah on my 
on my baseball card, my, my baseball collector channel on YouTube, I have a series of videos chronicling the journey of my dad and I building that and then finishing it. And now it's the, you know, the centerpiece of the room where, where and I, it's, it's full dad. We kind of need to work on, you know, like an expansion, an expansion or something. Cause it's getting pretty full. I, I'd hate to have to lift it. You would really hurt your back probably if somebody <laughs> tried to do that. It's pretty heavy, but I, I forget there's a, there's a gap in time that I want to discuss really quick. And, uh, but it was a special time for me because when I became an adult and got married and started having kids myself, you transitioned from being in the booth on camera to working behind the scenes on a, on a truck, uh, that would travel the country and do games mainly on the East coast, mainly baseball. And you did that for, till you retired. Um, and what I remember about that, what was so special about that is you were gone for long stretches of time and we live in the same city. Uh, my dad's 10 minutes from me and that's awesome. He's just far enough away where, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I would get the opportunity to come and fly and see you in Cleveland or Toronto or New York or Washington, DC or Baltimore. I can, I'm just listing all these cities that I know I came to visit you in. Right. And I, cause I wanted this, I wanted to go experience the ballparks and hang out with you and um, just, and we did that. Yeah. And we did that a lot. I mean, yeah. a lot. And uh, well, April 15th of 2002 is when I left KTVT and I went to work for the mobile TV group. And that was a job that uh, mostly I was a maintenance guy at first. And then they started sending me out on TV trucks. Uh, this would be a big tractor trailer, 53 feet long, pulled by a, a big uh, Kenworth. Yeah, it's a mobile mobile broadcast studio, basically. And there were two of us for yeah. the company, a driver and uh, myself. I was the what's called engineer in charge. And uh, it started slowly at first. After a few years, I started doing this more and more regularly. And then when my mother died on May 10th of 2008, I remember the boss coming to me and saying, well, can you take a truck now? And uh, he gave me unit 21. At that point, we had 21 TV trucks. And this was a truck that wasn't like the normal mobile TV group truck. The normal truck would be, it's stationed in St. Louis and it, it does all the Cardinals games or it's stationed in Dallas and it does all the Rangers games. So um, it would be a different truck. It would be a traveling truck. And once again, I was kind of doing the visitor speed, but I was going out to Toronto and figuring out how to hook this TV truck up into a, a satellite system or a fiber optic system where I could get the game that I was in charge of doing back to Ranger fans. So right. it would come back here and be on Fox Sports Southwest or whatever at the time, whoever the broadcaster was. And uh, yeah, every so often, why I'd, I'd be out so long and I wanted to see somebody from my family and I had 
a lot of times you flew yourself and sometimes I think I flew you on frequent flyer miles maybe. Yeah, we did it and I got to stay with you in the hotel. It was super cheap way to experience all that. I mean, we did it very economically because I was newly yeah. married with two kids. I didn't have a whole lot of, you know, extra money lying around, but I have dad, I'll show you because I don't know if you know, I keep these, but I have, um, in one of my binders here, like here's a media credential from 2011 with uh, the Indians. <laughs> I can remember the exact hotel we were at. Here is uh, 2013 with the Yankees. Yeah. Mike Moynihan visiting TV. We and so on 28th Street uh, in a hotel. Here's 2014 in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, so I keep this stuff because I used to not. I wish I had every ticket stub from every game I ever went to. But dumb me, I didn't realize how precious these things were to remembering. You, you see, right here, those are the drawers that I have all of that kind of stuff. In. Yeah. Right back but I, I, I look at something like this and I go, man, I remember that. It, it brings back the memories of that trip. And, you know, 2013 in New York and, and I have all the ticket. I used to try to find a fan that had a ticket stub because, uh -huh. you know, I'd have my media credential, but I didn't have a ticket to the game, which was really cool actually. Cause I could kind of go sit wherever I wanted to and uh -huh. so you'd get to go in on the game and I would just go and find an open seat somewhere, you know, usually really close. Or, yeah. That was neat. Wasn't it? Oh my gosh. It was so, so cool to be able to do stuff like that as an adult to where I could really, even as a kid, I appreciated it, but not the same as I did in my twenties and thirties as I got to do that with you too. So we've had these phases, you and I of doing this great stuff and sharing sports short sports being the connecting thing, right. Mm -hmm. That allowed me to share something that I loved. You were working and doing our your genetics, job. Our genetics that kept us together. Well, for sure. <laughs> um, and we've been able to, you know, build stuff together and just share so many things. And I just want you to know how a much I love you. And I love you. A moment of silence for my friend, Mike. No, I'm sorry. I just, uh, just got overwhelmed there. Um, you're a great dad and uh you're a great son you're a great son thank you for being my son uh, and when matt sees this up in nashville why he's a great son too we just don't see each other quite as often as mike and i do yeah but thanks for all those memories thanks for sharing them and thanks for just uh teaching me a lot of stuff along the way and I hope uh, we teach me stuff. We on a tractor this past weekend. We, we did. did. We're, we're doing new. I'm doing learning new things from you all the time. But uh, I will uh, say adieu and thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, the the truth is, this wasn't for you. It was for me. Wow. Well, that's a, a wonderful thing to hear. And uh, I love so, you very, very much. I love you too, uh, Dad. Should I hit this? Uh, Stop.
camera <laughs> no i'll end the broadcast you can sit here for just a second uh thanks everybody for watching thanks for listening we'll catch you soon and keep collecting